let's, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll open up um, what God has for us today. Father, we thank you for our church family. We thank you that you love the church. We thank you that we're your bride. We thank you that you've given us your word, which is authority over our lives. So we pray that you would speak to us today through your Holy Spirit. You are welcome here um, among us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last week, if you were not here, we started talking about the church as a body amongst ourselves, believers, and fellowship across the aisles, loving each other across the aisles, each one of us playing our parts in the body. All of us have a part. We're all called to be a part of the body. So if you're here and call Emmanuel Church home, you have a role to play. And we talked a lot about what it looks like to love each other, to serve each other, to forgive each other, and to sacrifice our lives for each other. But we should always emphasize love within the body, and we should always love other Christians and serve other Christians. But does that mean that all of my time is supposed to be spent with Christians? Am I only supposed to be around like-minded people that have the same beliefs and that have my same end goal of a Christian walk? Or am I called to more? And I think, I believe that the church not only is called to love each other inwardly, and we should, and this should be a testimony of light, of us loving each other and having compassion, having grace for each other, but we're also called to love those outside of the church. There's a danger um, among churches in what they call being a tribal church, being a church that, you know, if you think about how a tribe operates and how a tribe functions, a tribe looks out for those that are members of the tribe. And every other tribe, they're afraid, and they're a little leery and a little cautious of what's going on, so they're self-preservation. They look, about, look inward. Another term may be a country club, right? The country club exists for the benefit of its members. You get the fees, you can golf, you can do all that if you are a member. If you dress like us, look like us, talk like us, then you can enjoy the benefits of the country club. And the danger is we as a church can become so inwardly and we can feel safe with our tribe and we worry about protecting our tribe that we lose sight of our big objective of where God wants us to be a light and a beacon to our communities. If we need an example of what a tribal um, person looks like, the person of Jonah would be very tribal. See, Jonah had a call of God to go to Nineveh. Now that was very rare. The prophet spoke to the nation of Israel. And so God gave Jonah this calling to go to a nation that was not Israel, and a nation that had a fortified city, a nation that was known for its corruption, its crime. If you think the red light district of Las Vegas or Amsterdam, this is what Nineveh was like. And God called Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. And as we know, Jonah says, you know what, God? I'm not about that. And we know that he gets on the boat and he flees and he starts to head to Joppa. And you know why? Because Jonah says this in chapter four of Jonah. You know, God, I know that you are gonna be gracious and I know that you are gonna be compassionate and I know that you are gonna save the Ninevites. What? You mean to tell me Jonah knew that the Ninevites would be saved and he still refused to go spread the gospel to them? Why? Because Jonah had his own tribe in mind. Jonah had his own safety in mind. Jonah had his own protection in mind. Because Jonah, here he was a prophet to the Israelites. How dare he give a good message to another nation while speaking judgment to ours? What if the nation of Nineveh rises up and now God's favor is split between the nation of Israel and the people of Nineveh? What if the nation of Nineveh rises up and God uses them in taking over the land of Israel? And so Jonah was so fixed and so worried about his own nation, his own cause, and so worried about inward focus that he stopped and avoided the call of God upon his life to preach to Nineveh. And that can be the danger of us as a church, that those that don't look like us, those that don't dress like us, those that don't talk like us, and don't sound like us, we can say, you know what? You know, you're just not part of our tribe. But is that what we're called to? Is that our end goal in life? And what was Jesus like? 
And so we're going to take a look at various scriptures today, not just one, so you don't have to open your Bibles and I'll go through them. But when we find Jesus, we encounter him speaking on mountainsides. He meets a woman at the middle of the day at a well in a taboo land. He healed people in their homes. He gave teachings on boats while in transportation. And see, if he was just a tribal person, he would have came for just the synagogue and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the elite. But we find that Jesus would reach the commonplaces, that he used the simple, everyday things of life to preach the gospel. Remember the woman who was not well and Jesus was just walking and she touched the hem of his garment and she she was healed? Right? So even Jesus just walking the streets was about ministry, was about reaching out beyond the walls, beyond the synagogues, beyond just the religious leaders of his day. I find it amazing that Jesus was actually known for the bad company that he kept. One of the leading charges against him was the people that he surrounded himself with. If you remember the story of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and tax collectors known for their corruption and stealing and skimming money off the top and just being known as a filthy person of society. And when they saw Jesus with Zacchaeus, this is what they said in Luke 19, verse 10. Um, All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Another verse in Matthew eleven nineteen says this, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well. He touched the leper. He went to the blind man at the pool of Bethesda. He associated with society's lowest, the downcast, the broken, and says, you know what? I have come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said, I don't come for the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. I came for the sick. I came for the broken. I came for sinners. This is a man, when they asked him to describe what it was like, he said, imagine the shepherd who has 99 sheep, 99 sheep that followed and obeyed and were there. He says, you know what, but that shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes and chases down the one that is left and that is fleed. And so Jesus is not just focused on us here inwardly, those that are following and pursuing. He's also concerned about what happens outside of these four walls. Another case in Matthew 9, Jesus coming across a mass and a mob of people, a large group said this, he saw the masses and mobbed and he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and abused. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He came for the lowly, the poor, the broken. He preached to heathens, liars, and frauds. He had meals with thieves, addicts, and the lonely and says to you, will you join me on that mission? Will you dwell with sinners? Will you live among sinners? Will you reach sinners? Sure, they might not sound like you do. Sure, they may say some things that are maybe not what you want to hear. Maybe they might engage in activities that you don't. But he's saying, will you be involved in the lives outside of those four churches, spreading the gospel and my message? I always tell my youth group, we're not called to be the Amish. Don't get me wrong, the Amish do it great in some aspects. They get the inward part really well. When a house burns down, there'll be the whole community up there building it, and they do some things exceedingly well, and we can really learn from their inward sense of community. But they also miss part of it where they have secluded themselves from society, and they have abstained, and they've withdrawn. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. And so we must be a community that is not only focused on loving each other here, but what can we do in our society? What can we do in our jobs? What can we do in our city councils? What can we do on our parent-teacher conferences? What can we do in our sports teams? 
You see, we often have great respect for those who brave the mission field, and rightfully so. And, we should, and I'm glad that we support people as missionaries. I love the fact that, and, and we trump the fact that, you know, Pastor Nate took his entire family and his four kids, and he moved to Costa Rica, and he put them in schools there. That is a, that's a big risk, and we should applaud that, and we should worship that, and we should financially support missionaries like that. And we pray for them, and we pay special reverence. But what about us sitting here in the pews at Emmanuel Church today? Are we second-string Christians? Are we the JV team? Are we not following God because we haven't uprooted our lives and moved across the country? See, I would make the argument that no, that if you were sitting here today, that God also has a mission for you and you also are being sent and that you're not here because he wants you in Iraq or Costa Rica. He's here because he wants you in Wilmington, Delaware, and he wants you in the job that you have and he wants you in the families that you have to preach and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I think to be Christian is to have a direct sense that you are part of the mission, that Christ has saved us, redeemed us, and brought us into the family of God, and that he wants to use us to advance that kingdom. And so I want to do something um, that may be a little bit unconventional, and a little bit break in a service, but oftentimes we pray for missionaries, and we pray for worship leaders, and we pray for our Sunday school teachers, and we want them to have blessings and favor and all of this. But you know what? Most of us spend the majority of our time at work, and a lot of us sometimes exclude that work from our spiritual life. But guess what? God does not want to waste 40 hours of your time. God wants to use you at your jobs and your areas of focus to expand the kingdom. So I'm going to do something. I've already asked, where's John? John, come here. Angie Walls, where are you at? Come here. I need one more. John, come here. All right. I think I know this, but if I'm wrong, you work for Canon selling copiers and contracts and all that type of stuff, right? All right. Yep. And Angie works at Pepperidge Farms, I think, and you work in production for the last 31 years, yes. right? And John, you work at Hertz, right, as a mechanic and um, fixing things. You know what? I want us as a church to embrace something. We're going to pray for them because they spend 40 hours a week in mission fields. And God doesn't want John somewhere else. He doesn't want Angie somewhere else. He wants them right where they are to expand the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God right where they're at. And so we need to develop this mindset that God is not partial just to Sunday morning service or what you can do here, but he wants you to be a Christian 24-7 every day of your life, every minute, wherever you are, engaged in the gospel of Christ. So let's bow our heads, let's raise our hands, and let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have given each and every one of these individuals. We thank you for John, Angie, and John. And Lord, we pray that you do not want to waste their time, Lord, that they're not just called to work for a paycheck and to, that's it. But Lord, you want to establish the kingdom of God and you want to advance the kingdom of God. You want the gospel to be spread to their coworkers, to, the, to their bosses, to the people that they work for, that they serve, Lord, that you want to use them. So I pray that they would see the value in their work, Lord, that they work unto the Lord. Lord, the work that they do is unto you. They don't work for man, they don't serve man, they work unto you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use them in their places. And Father, for all of us sitting there in the congregation that have jobs and we think that they're meaningless or purposeless or we don't see the point in it, God, I pray that we would find the value in our work where you have called us. So fill them, equip them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, Amen. amen. You guys can sit down, thank you. I have here this, ministry encompasses the work, including every vocation of every church member done to the glory of God. All members are considered full-time ministers, working to advance the kingdom of God in their respective fields. 
Church members actively pursue righteousness in their respective vocations, living out the principles of God's word in the realm of politics, the arts, and business. Being the church Monday through Saturday is just as important as doing church on Sunday. The church believes that no segment of society is off limits when it comes to God's redemption. The darkness of the outside world is not something to hide from, boycott, or scold from afar, but is instead the very place we are called to extend God's light. You see, if our job is to build tables, then you build the most beautiful table that God has given you. You show off God's creation and the skills that he has given you. If your job is to serve coffee, you serve it with love and passion, and you make the best cup of coffee. Someone once asked Martin Luther about joining the clergy. He was a shoemaker, and he was thinking about leaving his job as a shoemaker to take up a higher notion or a higher calling to join the ministry. And Martin Luther looked at him and said, no, 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 no. He says, you're a shoemaker. You know what you need to do? You need to build a good quality shoe and sell it at a fair price and work that way. Because God needs people in the marketplaces. He needs people in the schools. He needs people in the hospitals. And he needs you right where you're at. So wherever you are, whatever you are doing, don't find it worthless or don't find it pointless because you're not some big missionary or you don't have a Sunday school ministry to teach. No. You're a 24-7 minister of the gospel and you're on call every day, all the time. Maybe you're there for your family members. Maybe it's those who need the gospel around you. Maybe God has given you those family members so you can spread the message to them. Romans 1.16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I love that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For I am not ashamed that my Jesus died and paid for my sins. I'm not ashamed that I was once broken and lost, but I have a Jesus that came and resurrected me. I am not ashamed to put my faith in Jesus. Why? For it is the power of salvation. It doesn't matter how good of coffee a church may serve. It doesn't matter how hipster the youth pastor may look. It doesn't matter how good the worship is and the music production and all of that. That will never change or save anyone's life. It doesn't matter how persuasive my speech is. It doesn't matter how good of an argument I give you. The only thing that changes life is the... Ah! The only thing that changes is the gospel. That is the power of salvation. That's why it says this. To the Greek, it is foolish. And to the Jews, it is a stumbling block. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And so why Paul says this, why I don't come with persuasive speech or strong argument, I preach Christ and Christ crucified, for it is the power of salvation. And so one of the dangerous quotes that is often good in intent and that we often miss is this. And maybe if you've heard it or if you've posted it, it's a good quote and I want to hit on it, but we need to expand it a little bit. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. It's a good quote and in its intent is probably very good. It really captures this, that our lifestyle should back the words that we're preaching right? Jesus engaged with sinners. Jesus was with gluttons. Jesus was with drunks. And Jesus was with tax collectors. But I'll tell you something. Jesus was never drunk. He never compromised his integrity. He never was stealing money off the top like the tax collectors. And so he dwelt with them and he lived with them. But guess what? He was calling them to where he was at, not stooping to where they were. He met them in their places, but he never compromised his own integrity. And it says, we know that he never sinned. 
And so yes, should our lifestyles and should the words that we speak reflect the gospel? By all means. If we're going to give someone marriage advice and share how Jesus wants to infiltrate that, they're going to take a look and see what your marriage is like. Or if you're going to give someone parenting advice and you want to share godly wisdom on parenting, you know what they're going to take a look at? Well, how do your kids respond to you? And so part of it is true, where your lifestyle and your behavior and the things that you do should reflect the gospel and the words that you preach. But guess what? No one gets saved if you never open your mouth. They have to hear the gospel. You gotta preach it, you gotta declare it, you gotta speak the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I would challenge you that if I were to do a survey among the people sitting here, that I would say at least probably 90% of you were saved because someone spoke the gospel to your life. Now, some of you may have heard the gospel or maybe God illuminated to you in a dream or he showed up, but, very, but the most of us and the majority of us heard someone else preach the gospel. We may have heard it on TV, but guess what? Someone was speaking it. We may have heard it on the radio, but guess what? Someone was speaking it. We may have heard it from a friend. We may have heard it from a pastor. We may have heard it from reading a book, but guess what? Those are still authored and published words that, that was, the gospel was spoken. And that was the power to change lives. So we must speak and proclaim and declare the gospel. Should our lifestyles back it up? Yes. Should our lifestyles reflect it? Should it draw people by the way that we work and by the way that we live? Should people be drawn to us? Yes. And they should ask for the hope that you have. And then when they ask for that hope, you declare the good news of Jesus Christ. So the question is, who are the people in our lives that need the gospel? Who are the lost and the broken? Maybe some of us have played it a little safe and in first thought, we can't think of anyone that close to us that is not a Christian. Well, then I would challenge you, I don't know, man, join the Y, join an art class, join a sports team, get involved in schools, parent, teacher conferences, get involved in your city's council, get involved on something and put yourselves in areas and situations where you're surrounded by people that are not like you, that are different and that need to hear the kingdom of God and need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I'm not preaching this just because it's a marketing ploy to get more people to church or because it's that. Um, because the truth is, if you want some hard truth, it's going to be hard. It's difficult. <laughs> It'll be inconvenient. It may cost you your money. And you may have to sow one year, and then they're going to be back in the same place and get to sow again. And then you're going to have to sow again. And guess what? God never promises that he might not even water that seed. At some point, there might be people that you have to dust your, you know, Jesus says to dust off the dust of your feet and move on. Some people, it may take years, five years, six years, seven years of preaching and of talking to them and committing to them and just sharing with them and living your life out in front of them. See, it's not about this magic formula that if you do it, everyone is going to get saved, but you were called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ and to share the gospel, and that's why lives change. You want to see marriages change. You want to see people's situations change. You want to see people find healing. Then you got to preach the gospel. It is the power to save. I don't got the power to save anyone. Jesus does. And so it will be challenging. You may need to sacrifice some of your time. It may be inconvenient. But I promise you this, you've got to make it a habit of your life that if you're too busy to do the gospel work, then you get rid of the other stuff and you start making time for the things of the kingdom of God and the gospel. Because that's the best thing that maybe you can do for your own life. As you share with a coworker and they've got a bunch of questions for you and you don't know. But guess what? It drives you back to find the answer. And then not only are you growing, you're helping someone else. So it won't be easy. It will be difficult. It will be inconvenient. 
but it's what we're called to. We're not just to be an inward-focused church. We've got to think outside of these four walls that Monday through Saturday matters just as much as right here, right now. You ever meet the person in your life that like when they go to a restaurant and they have the best meal ever, that they then have to tell everyone else that it was the best meal ever, all right? Or you know the person that watched this TV show and they just won't let you alone? Did you watch that TV show yet? Did you watch it? And you're like, yeah, 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 I'm gonna watch it. And then in your mind, like, I'm never gonna watch that, you know? But, but they experience something good or they taste of something good and they've seen something good and they're just not settled until they share it with you and they, you have the same experience that they had. You know, they've had the best cheesecake, so they want you to taste the best cheesecake. You met those kind of people? That's the way we should be about Jesus. I've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord and I wanna share them with you. <laughs> Because I know what he does and I've seen what he's done in my life and I've seen how he's changed my life and I see how he's called me to love my wife and I've seen how he's called me to serve my children and I believe in him and I want what that for you. Because yeah. out of the overflow of the goodness of the Lord in my life, I want to share it with you. Another verse in Matthew 5.16 says this. We are called to be the light of the world. What do you do with the light? It says, do you hide it under a bowl? No. Do you keep it down low? No. You set it up so it illuminates and it shines the gospel of Christ from all things. And so just like Israel was a nation that was called by God and then God poured out his blessings and God gave them the promised land and God built them up and raised them up and established them so that they would be a testimony, that they would be a light to the other nations and wonder, who's that God? Who is their God? Who are they worshiping? Isaiah Where's it at here? And maybe I don't get it. That's all right. Basically a verse in Isaiah that is calling them to be the nation of Israel, to be the light. And now God has moved and is calling the church to be the light, to be the example, to shine the gospel of Christ. But see, here's the thing. We're way more like the moon than we are the sun. Right? Right? The moon does not generate any light in and of itself. It doesn't produce any light. But when the sun goes down, the moon reflects the light of the sun. And so even though Jesus is not here with us physically, guess what? He's still shining and radiating and permeating himself because I am supposed to be a reflection of the Son of God, of the light of Jesus. I am chosen to reflect his light, and it's his light that I'm shining. It's not my own. I'm a broken, sinful mess of a man but when the glory of the Lord and the reflection of who Jesus is and his perfections reflect off of me then I'm able to shine a light that draws others into the kingdom of God so you were called to be a light you were called to reflect the light not to generate it not to make it up not to produce it on your own you reflect who he is his nature and his character you were made in his image And so lastly, that's some of us feel an obligation and a duty to share the gospel because we may feel a sense of guilt or shame if we don't. Well, this is what Christians are supposed to do, so I'm going to do it. But I don't want you to share out of a heart like that. Others may do it because they got the wise arguments and they think that they are smarter and they got the knowledge and they got the power to do it, and so they're going to go out charged up and share because of all the knowledge that they have. But I don't want you to share out of that. I want you to share the gospel because you love 
the people around you and you so love them and you wanna show them the gospel that can change their lives. You see, Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You wanna love God? Love the people around you. Love the people that he's given to you. Acts 17, 26 says this, that he has allotted the times and the place of the people So you're sitting here right now because God knew it and the people that he surrounded you with and the mission field that he's given you, guess what? He knew and so he's planted you here and so be a missionary where you are and where he has placed you. And do it because you have a love for his people. Do it because you have a love for the gospel. And see, maybe that's where it starts right here is that before you can share the gospel and before you can advance the kingdom of God, you first gotta have a love for it. You may have to preach it to yourself. It should excite us, right? The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And if there's not an ongoing resurrecting work in me, guess what? I won't find the passion to do evangelism. I won't find the passion to share my faith because it's first got to take root in me and I first got to understand its value and what that love is. And so that's first got to excite you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law or for the spirit of life has set me free from sin and death. For what the law weakened through the flesh could not do, God did by condemning sin in the flesh so that I might live life according to the spirit. If that doesn't excite you, right, that you've been set free from the law of sin and death, you got a God that's got plans for you. He says, I've come to give you life and abundant life, that all my ways are good for you. If that doesn't excite you, then the first thing you gotta do is preach the gospel to yourself. That there's a man that entered into our world and he died on a cross for my sins and paid my penalty and I have now been given a position that I don't deserve. Let it take root in your own hearts. Maybe you gotta pray what David prayed in Psalm 51. Restore to me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. Let us not forget that we once walked in darkness, but Lord brought us into his marvelous light. So I know how evangelism sermons often go. We often get amped up and charged up and we think of the people that, you know, are in our atmosphere and we're really excited about sharing with them on um, Sunday and then Monday morning comes. It's like, well, you know, now's not the right time. I got to do my work, you know. Uh, I got this and I got that and very often it goes weeks upon weeks upon weeks and we just let it go and we forget about it until the next time we hear a sermon or next time we read a verse about sharing the gospel but one of the large pastors in New York City said this, there should always be two to four people that are in, what, in your own little personal incubator, that are in your prayers, that are in your thoughts, that you've given literature to, that you've invited them to church events, that you've shared messages with, that you've shared scripture with, that you wrote notes of encouragement to. There should always be two to four people that in our sphere of like, this person needs the gospel and I'm gonna pray for them and I'm gonna commit to them and I am gonna devote my time to them. And so we're gonna close like this. Um, we're just gonna have a moment of prayer and I want you to think of those two to four people that come to your mind. Who are those two to four people that you know what? Come Monday morning, we're like, oh shoot, here comes John sharing something from the Bible with me again, you know? Here comes this person offering to pray for my situation again. But they know because you're gonna pepper their life with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you're gonna share the truth with them. And so let us bow our heads um, and just think of those two people and we're just gonna pray for them right here and right now and then I would challenge you that 
um, to do that daily throughout the week. And if God gives you the strength and the boldness and there's a right opportunity that you would share with them this week, that you would take them out to lunch, buy them lunch and say, you know what? I think what's missing in your life is Jesus. And he's got the power to change it. So Father, we thank you that you could have sent us all angels or you could have, all person, you could have personally revealed to yourself to all of us in dreams. Lord, but for some reason you've chosen broken and sinful people to be your messengers, that the gospel spreads through your church and through your believers and through Christians. So Father, you call us to proclaim your gospel, to advance your kingdom and to share the love of Jesus with others. So Lord, I pray for those people that are on our minds and the people in our families and our jobs and we lift them up and God, we pray that you would just start doing what you're doing and that your Holy Spirit would be drawing them, that you would be leading them to a place where their heart is receptive to hear the gospel of Jesus. And Father, if we're here today and we haven't, if that doesn't excite us or that's not a passion, Lord, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation, that we would be reminded of what you have done for us and who you are and what you stand for and of your nature and of your character and of your goodness. Father God, and that it would just bubble forth, that we would taste and see the goodness of the Lord and we would want more and that we would love the people around us so much that we would want them to have the same love that we know. Father, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Lord, it's an exclusive statement. But Father, it's because that is what is best for everyone. And you don't settle for anything less than what is best. So you draw them to yourself because you know you are what is best. So Lord, let us cherish you in our own hearts. And Father, let us advance your kingdom outside of these four walls. Let us enter the mission fields with an attitude of I'm a kingdom advancer and I'm going to advance your kingdom. We love you. We thank you. We pray a blessing over this congregation as they walk together, as they serve, that we would be the body of Christ. Lord, we're broken. We're a mess. But Father, we thank you that we don't have to generate the light. We shine your light. We reflect your light. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We walk forgiven and we walk free for you have set us free from sin and death. In Jesus' name we've said, amen.